to make sure BC Housing is as effective as it can be, and these new board members will help us do that. A big BC housing shakeup with firings announced late Friday after a report finds a lack of oversight. Plus, we've narrowed the cause to a network system failure. Restoring Rogers as the CEO apologizes to customers who are worried it could happen again. I think I used one in my old high school once. I used to make a phone call for a dime. Have you ever seen one of those before? No. And the outage prompted a search for the few remaining payphones in the province and whether anyone uses them. You're watching Global BC. This is Global News Hour at 6. Good evening and thanks for joining us. The 15-hour network outage of Rogers Services is now largely over today, but that's not the case for the fallout over the sudden loss of mobile and internet connectivity for millions of Canadians. As Amadagahi reports, it's raised concerns about less competition in the industry amid the planned merger between the telecom company with rival Shaw. Sorry doesn't work very well when it's a situation like this. One of Canada's big three telecommunication companies is apologizing to millions of people Saturday after nearly an entire day of widespread network outages causing major disruptions across the country. We now are going through what I would call the more rigorous detailed process of root cause analysis of what happened. The CEO of Rogers says that initial findings point to router malfunctions after a recent maintenance upgrade, blaming that for Friday's outage. So the fact that it did happen is very, very alarming. The outage sparking discussion surrounding the risk and impact of a potential similar issue down the line, especially as Rogers moves closer to finalizing its purchase of Shaw a move that was already criticized for its potential to cut competition in the industry. And it just shows how unfair it is in Canada, the fact that we only have the big three, we already pay high prices for our internet and our cell phone bills, and now we have these kind of service disruptions. So it's bringing back the talk of us having a fourth carrier. Rogers says service has been restored to 100% of its customers. This as more stories of how the outage affected local business emerge. Yesterday, particularly yesterday morning, was a gong show. Global News first reported Friday that North Vancouver's Delaney's Coffee House began issuing IOUs, or TABs, for its customers who could not pay with their debit cards. The next day, many had returned to honour their bills. And I think the people appreciated the fact that we trusted them. Such was also the case at North Vancouver's Bufala Pizzeria. You know, it, was, it took a little bit of a leap of faith to um, you know, trust that there was about 800 or so dollars of unsettled bills at the end of the day. And, you know, we... It's a neighborhood spot, so we trusted people to come back for sure. Um, but you never know until the next day. And sure enough, we're at 100% conversion rate today. Everybody came back and paid, and we're happy to do, it, do so. Questions still remain surrounding whether the company's outage leading to the inability of its customers to reach 911 Friday violates Canadian regulations. And when a compensation credit the company has promised its customers will materialize. Emadagahi, Global News. One of the biggest impacts of the outage was the sudden postponement of Friday night's concert by the weekend at Rogers Centre in Toronto. The performer cited the outage for the last-minute cancellation as the reason why, leaving thousands of disappointed fans. The lack of answers on Friday had many people concerned about the company moving forward. 
It's a tough situation all the way around, but I think it's just a matter of trying to find the right the right solution, and that's to decentralize what we currently have in this in this market. As dissatisfied as I am at times with Rogers, unfortunately, the other options aren't any better either. If I'm keeping like Fido or Rogers with like my cell phone, um, then that's also an option. But it's good to have different providers. I'm I'm realizing like after yesterday, just in case if one is down, you have a backup. A more serious situation arose in the courts. A criminal defense attorney in Ontario saying his client could not be part of his own legal proceedings. Again, Roger says a vast majority of its customers are now back online and they're working to restore the last ones who still aren't. Last night, the provincial government announced more than half of B.C. Housing's board members had been replaced. The decision coming after an external review called for greater oversight of the agency that's responsible for housing some of the province's poorest residents. Julia Foy has more, including what the minister responsible had to say on the matter. I At the Catalano Street Party Saturday, there was music and crafts and politics. BC Attorney General and Minister Responsible for Housing David Eby was chatting with neighbours. We think you're going to be our next boss. He won't say whether he'll run for the NDP party leadership. Oh, I'm not in it yet. In it yet. No, I'm kicking the tires. Yeah, I'm talking to people about it. But Global wanted to know about a media release which dropped late Friday, suggesting that several members of the BC Housing Board are being evicted. We recently did a review of uh, BC Housing through Ernst & Young. They recommended a number of very significant changes to the organization. And so we're putting in a team that's going to be able to uh, implement that as quickly as possible. BC Housing is a non-profit organization which provides housing and programs for thousands of people around BC. One Globe and Mail journalist is surprised by the changes at the board table. In the last two years, the number of rumblings that I've had about people leaving and what's going on has really gone up. The report was released June 30th. It suggests there are problems with how some funding is being distributed. It was very informal in its processes, and that's the core finding of the report. And those need to be, the structures need to be in place now that they're so big and they have so much accountability around taxpayer dollars. EB says a new board will take over July 18th. The board that we had is very uh, focused on housing expertise and knowledge about the housing sector. And the uh, uh, new appointees are very experienced in organizational structure and accountability. Beulah says the report went much deeper. The report talked about how it creates a perception of unfairness among among everyone who's working with that agency, you know, among other nonprofit housing providers who might wonder, well, how did they decide it was this group and not our group? The opposition has questions about why the board's flip was kept so quiet. The fact that uh, he wasn't wanting to acknowledge anything was wrong uh, publicly for quite some time and then to do a last minute late uh, Friday afternoon uh, massive change the way he has uh, really does make one wonder um, just how bad this was. Questions EB may face if he runs for the party leadership. Julia Foy, Global News. The man who first raised the allegations leading to the B.C. legislature spending scandal says Craig James' sentence doesn't address the lack of accountability overall. The former legislature clerk was handed a three-month conditional sentence Friday for breach of trust. James inappropriately expensed clothing as work attire. The B.C. Supreme Court justice acquitted him on fraud and other breach of trust charges related to a quarter of a million dollar retirement benefit. 
Current legislature clerk Kate Ryan Lloyd received a similar benefit, but less than the almost 258000 James got. Even though she was advised she could keep it, she returned it, saying she felt uncomfortable. When former Speaker of the B.C. Legislature Daryl Plekis first raised concerns about wrongdoing, he says it wasn't just about criminal matters. In an earlier investigation, uh, Beverly McLaughlin, a retired Chief Justice of the Supreme Court of Canada, found that uh, there was no legal basis for giving him that 257000 So here we have a situation he's not criminally responsible for that 257000 but it's still inappropriate behavior. There was inappropriate spending. And where's the accountability for getting some of that spending back? With Friday's sentence, James must pay just under $1,900 in restitution, the amount of the clothing the judge said he fraudulently expensed and was reimbursed for. The former clerk also has 60 days to pay a $200 victim surcharge. A woman is facing impaired driving-related charges after Victoria Police found her vehicle submerged last night. Officers found the vehicle in a pond off Dallas Road at Government Street shortly after 9.30 p.m. Police say the driver appeared intoxicated and attempted to flee but was arrested at the scene. No one was hurt. The suspect was held in custody until sober and then released with a future court date. Police in Central Saanich are searching for a high-risk missing person. 41-year-old Nathaniel Waters was last seen at 4.30 a.m. Friday morning in the Keating area of Central Saanich. He's described as being 5 foot 10, about 225 pounds, and believed to be driving a grey 2010 Ford F-150 pickup truck. His license plate is PJ7371. Anyone who sees Nathaniel or his vehicle is asked to call the Central Saanich Police Service. In the Okanagan, the mother of a West Kelowna teen is hoping for justice after her son was assaulted near Shannon Lake and hospitalized. The teenager says he was just hanging out with friends when the unprovoked attack happened. Jaden Wozni reports. This is where Selena Ossenvorth's 16-year-old son Taylor and his friends were hanging out on the night of July 4th and into the early morning hours of July 5th, listening to music, when they say two men driving a white Dodge Ram suddenly began shouting at them and jumped out of the vehicle. His friends ran quite some distance and hid in some bushes. Um, Taylor didn't quite run far enough. He was confused. Um, his friends said he was hiding under a bush while a man tiptoed around and he held his breath because he was too scared to be found. But they did find him, and that's when Taylor says he was attacked. Ossenvorth says her son suffered a broken nose, cuts to his face, and bruises across his back. I feel like our neighborhood's safe, or I thought it was safe. Um, it's hard to sleep at night knowing somebody's hurt my son like that. Police are looking for two bearded men driving a white Dodge Ram pickup truck, but they'd also like to speak with the people in a red hatchback car who were in the area at the same time. Taylor's mother says this incident has left her fearing for her son's safety. Absolutely. I told them no more going out at night, no more walking home, um, being dropped off at friends' homes. Taylor is slowly recovering from his injuries, but he's still left wondering why anyone would want to go after him and his friends like that. It's pretty shocking that it would happen here. Uh... I would never expect anything to happen like that in this area. If there's any good news to come from this story, it's that two complete strangers stopped to help Taylor shortly after the attack and waited with him until the paramedics arrived. No, it was wonderful that somebody stopped and actually helped my boy and waited with him while he was scared and hurt and covered in blood and I kept him feeling safe in that time. 
West Kelowna RCMP say they are continuing to investigate and anyone with information is asked to contact them. Jaden Wozni, Global News, West Kelowna. Two of three activists who broke into an Abbotsford hog farm to document conditions have been convicted. Three activists were on trial in an Abbotsford court. They entered the Alexer hog farm in April of 2019, documenting conditions inside the barn that they call cruel. This weekend, the jury returned guilty verdicts against two of them for break and enter and mischief. A third accused was found not guilty. Amy Serrano and Nick Schaefer will be sentenced at a later date. They plan to appeal the verdict. Mounties in northern B.C. rescued a baby deer during a traffic stop last week. Fort St. John RCMP officers discovered the fawn in the back seat of the stopped vehicle. Police arrested the occupants for possessing live wildlife and also seized drugs that were discovered as well as the deer who was handed over to conservation officers and will soon be going to the Rimrock Wildlife Rehabilitation Centre in Dawson Creek. It'll be reintegrated into the wild once it's ready. The B.C. Conservation Officer Service is investigating the incident. Licensed cannabis providers in B.C. are now able to use Canada Post and other delivery service providers to mail their product to customers. The B.C. government says the move will help build equality in the marketplace. Consumers were already able to get cannabis mailed to them through sales from the B.C. Cannabis Store's website. The province has also released the findings of a report studying the illicit cannabis market in B.C., It found pesticides are widely used in illegal cannabis, while illicit vape cartridges overstate their advertised THC levels. Coming up, a big backcountry cleanup. We only have one backcountry and we need to keep a better eye on it. The Okanagan volunteer group sounding the alarm over the massive mound of garbage and debris. Plus... I think it's really good for the community, actually. Brings everybody, everybody back together. Thousands are served up meals in the park as the Union Gospel Mission's summer barbecue makes a comeback. Back in the Okanagan, thousands of kilograms of garbage was removed from the James Lake Forest Service Road area after a massive cleanup earlier today. As Victoria Famia reports, it's one of the largest abandoned homeless camps volunteers have ever seen. The Okanagan Forest Task Force and its volunteers spent almost an entire day cleaning a number of abandoned homeless campsites along James Lake Forest Service Road. The group started their cleanup around 9 in the morning, and by 11 a.m., they had already filled up an entire dumpster that can hold around 3,000 kilograms of garbage. This is definitely one of the worst areas that we've seen um, in this specific location. Uh, This road stretches about three kilometers and there's another garbage pile at the back of it from the same camp. The task force is compiled of volunteers from all across the Okanagan who work to keep local forests clean and to prevent illegal dumping. They also have a scuba diving team that rids the lakes of garbage. In a typical dive, the team removes up to 70 kilograms of trash from the water, with some of the most common things being household waste and plenty of bottles and cans, all of which makes the water unsafe. I've seen people step on broken glass a lot. It sucks. And then some of the bottles that we find, I actually find fish dead inside of them because they go in, grow, and they can't get back out. So that's probably pretty pretty harmful for the ecosystem. That same damage applies to land and wildlife. There, there's a lot of things that affect the area, all the garbage that's been sitting for so long. Um, there's been a lot of food dumped as well, which brings in bears and other wildlife. 
which could very easily be injured on a lot of the, the garbage that we've seen here today. One volunteer who came out to Saturday's cleanup at James Lake FSR says more should be done to keep the Okanagan's backcountry maintained. You know, it uh, sadly doesn't seem to surprise me what goes on in, these, uh, in the backcountry and uh, I really feel that there should be some more involvement from the government to uh, oversee uh, these sites when they become like this. You know, it's our backcountry. People like to come out here and enjoy what we have to offer in BC. This cleanup puts the Okanagan Forest Task Force at close to half a million pounds of garbage removed from various sites around the Okanagan since 2016. Victoria Famia, Global News. The BC Conservation Service says it's done its largest ever decontamination of a barge to prevent the spread of zebra mussels. Last month, conservation officers were tipped off by other western provinces about a barge being tucked in two sections from Ontario to the lower mainland. When they caught up to the truck, they found out it was encrusted with zebra mussels, some of them still viable. So it was sent to a warehouse for decontamination and crews spent two full days scraping and scrubbing the mussels from the barge. Zebra mussels are an invasive species that can overtake local populations if they're allowed to establish themselves. There was a return today to what's become a summer tradition on Vancouver's downtown east side as the Union Gospel Mission held a barbecue following a two-year break due to the pandemic. Paul Johnson has more from Oppenheimer Park. Yes, what is the best form of Kung Fu? He said, no Kung Fu. Talking philosophy and Bruce Lee with Mohinder Singh Kun Kun. These are the kinds of eclectic conversations you get at the Union Gospel Missions Saturday in the park. Where do you live? We're here on the corner, Dunleavy and Hastings. Joe B. has been a regular at the event for years. We caught up with him just before he was about to head over to the grill. I think it's really good for the community, actually. Brings everybody, everybody back together. I see people I haven't seen in a while. And it has been a while. Saturday marked the return of UGM's summer barbecue in Oppenheimer Park after two years of the pandemic and all that it brought. The downtown east side was thrilled to have it back. And every plate consists of a hamburger, a smoky, uh, coleslaw, macaroni salad, a bag of chips, a Mr. Freezy, and a bottle of water. UGM's kitchen manager, Randy Spark, says because of the ongoing supply issues, as recent as a week ago, he wasn't certain all his orders would get filled in time. But it all worked out. It feels good. You know, it, it feels good to be outside, and it feels good to contribute to... Um, to society. Volunteers like Andrew Morton were a reminder of how both parties benefit from the act of giving. He's been doing this for years now. By day's end, organizers expect to have served 4,000 meals here. In a summer where the return to outdoor festivities will be a common enough story everywhere, it's worth remembering that in some neighborhoods, this may be as close to a summer vacation some are going to get. At Oppenheimer Park, Paul Johnson, Global News. Kelowna International Airport celebrating its 75th birthday today in style. The unmistakable sound of the snowbirds filling the skies of Kelowna this afternoon. Thousands of people packing the banks and Okanagan Lake to catch a glimpse of the show. The Snowbirds put on a 45-minute show in somewhat challenging terrain 
with the city hemmed in by hills. The snowbirds had to keep their turns quite tight. Still ahead, after enduring rampant racism, the all-black Canadian First World War unit finally receiving an apology. And later, a family resettled the new home for this iconic nearly 3,000-pound sculpture. A Yukon-wide travel advisory has been issued amid one of the worst stretches of wildfires people in the territory have seen in years. There have been evacuation alerts, road closures, and special air quality statements issued due to the wildfires. Flooding is also playing a factor, washing out a number of roads, including along Highway 97 near the B.C.-Yukon border. A number of B.C. crews are heading north to provide support. Some rain is in the forecast, but there are worries it will be accompanied by more lightning. A historical moment today in Nova Scotia. The Prime Minister has officially apologized to the loved ones of Canada's only First World War black military unit. The number two construction battalion had faced extreme racism and prejudice while serving their country. Alexa McLean reports. The streets and stands of Truro, Nova Scotia were filled with hundreds of people who came out to be part of a moment in Canadian history that Prime Minister Justin Trudeau acknowledged was decades overdue. I am here today to offer the Government of Canada's official apology for the appalling way these patriots were treated. The surviving sons and daughters of men who served in the number two construction battalion were greeted with a standing ovation. In attendance for the first federal government apology to black Canadians for overt anti-black racism shown during the First World War. What do you think your dad, Elmer, would think today if he were here? He'd have been right there talking and telling them about, you know, the war and all this and that. When World War I broke out in 1914, black volunteers flocked to sign up at military recruitment offices but were denied the right to serve their country. In repeated acts of discrimination and racism, almost every single black volunteer was turned away. That led to an onslaught of pressure from black community members lobbying the government to overturn a racist policy. While they weren't allowed to fight on the front lines, they did form a labor battalion that played a critical role in building and maintaining military infrastructure overseas. This is my father, Percy Richards. He's the member of the battalion. Well, the main thing that struck me today, that almost brought me to tears, was the apology. And knowing that they did do something, right? In, this, in, the, in the first war. A part of Canada's history that's no longer in the shadows. For the blatant anti-black hate and systemic racism that denied these men dignity in life and in death, we are sorry. Alexa McLean, Global News, Churro, Nova Scotia. In health matters, Island Health has confirmed the first case of monkeypox on Vancouver Island. The case was confirmed Thursday, bringing the number of monkeypox cases in the province to 21. Island Health says the patient lives on the South Island and contact tracing is already underway. The health authority adds the virus is not spread easily between people and the risk to the public is very low. Vaccines are being provided to high-risk contacts identified through contact tracing. Still ahead, a hot mess. The Calgary community waking up to the aftermath of a wild hot air balloon ride. You're watching Global News Hour at 6. 
This is certainly not what you'd expect to be blocking the road outside of your house Saturday morning. People in the Calgary community of New Brighton waking up today to a hot air balloon caught on a street light. Fire officials say the balloon was being deflated nearby when the wind picked it up and carried it towards the residential street. No one was inside the basket for the short but wild ride and luckily no one was injured. A popular festival returns to Vancouver's Kitsilano neighborhood today with the Kitsilano Street Party back to market's 10th anniversary. Our Michael Newman has more from along the 10-block stretch that's taken over West 4th Avenue. Michael? Here on the street of Kitsilano, a great day for a free community public block party. Well, I expected well over 100,000 people coming to Kits for this amazing event. And it's an event celebrating live music with well over 50 performances happening at multiple stages throughout the event. Um, also celebrating arts and culture. Um, there's a, a community demonstration of art and you can actually participate in I got to try my hand at it, some, some community art, as well as the host nations from the Musqueam, Squamish and Tsleil-Waututh nations having their own pavilion showcasing the arts and culture of, of their communities. A really amazing experience. And then also it's been a time to make up for, for lost time. Many people haven't been able to, to, to celebrate those important milestones. So you've had celebration stations with people celebrating birthdays, graduations, and even weddings. We got to see a live wedding, which was super, super beautiful to see. So, and the party continues um, going well on to the night. You have the, at eight o'clock tonight, the headliners will be taking the stage here at Burrard and all the, also at McDonald's. So great, great event for everyone. Really lots of smiles on the ground and really an important event that people look forward to every summer. Michael Newman reporting from Catalano. And Muslims around the world are celebrating the feast of Eid today. An Islamic center and mosque in Edmonton hosted a celebration this afternoon. It's the second biggest of two official holidays which are celebrated within the Islamic faith. It honors the willingness of Abraham to sacrifice his son as an act of obedience to God. It's a feast for the Muslims where they celebrate Prophet Abraham and Prophet Ismail. And, um, and yeah, it's, it's a nice opportunity for us Muslims to reflect on our, on our history, on our traditions, and on our prophets. And as part of the festival, food donations are also made to the poor. And conditions look beautiful out there for that gathering as we bring in Yvonne Shell for a look at our West Coast forecast. How are things looking for the rest of the weekend? And we are going to see more sunshine in store and temperatures are going to warm up in the long rain. And I'll have more coming up in just a moment. But we've got a fair bit of cloud cover out there this evening. It'll be dry for most areas across Metro Vancouver. We're currently sitting at 20 degrees and we've got a westerly wind at around 11 kilometers per hour. But here's a glance at some of the numbers. When you factor in the humid X, for example, in the Fraser Valley, feeling like 26, Pitt Meadows, 25 similar in areas inland across the island with the current temperature at 21 and it feels like at 23. A few highs across the province today with Lytton pushing closer to 30 degrees. Lillooet today up to 27. Similar for Revelstoke and Kamloops topping out at 25 degrees. It'll be even warmer in the coming days and I'll show you those numbers coming up in just a moment. Bit of a blip in the forecast though. Areas near Nanaimo and right along the Sunshine Coast we may have a few isolated showers through the region. We'll see that for the early morning hours and then a clearing is on the 
away. A few spots for the central and southeastern corners of the province. I'm spotting some lightning strikes, a bit of instability across that region. But overnight tonight for Metro Vancouver, it'll be mainly cloudy. We'll see that cloud cover for the morning hours. It'll clear as we get in through the day, anticipating more sunshine in comparison to what we're seeing today. And 21 away from the water, 24, but with the humidex tomorrow to fill closer to 26 for areas that are away from the water. A different weather story, though, along the north and central coast. We're tracking wet weather. It'll be rainfall and continuing through the day for tomorrow with windy conditions. The gusts, especially for areas that are closer to the water, up to 60 kilometers per hour. And that same system is going to bring a bit of moisture along the northern and central regions of the island. Update from the BC River Forecast Centre. The Quinell River has been downgraded, now sitting at a flood watch. The Chicolta and Nichaco included within that and the areas within the flood watch may exceed bankful all areas that are in yellow underneath a high stream flow advisory. Wanted to show you the upper level chart as we look ahead. Latter half of the weekend for tomorrow, ridge starts to build. It'll strengthen. Now, Monday, Tuesday, please keep this in mind. Temperatures are going to be into the low 30s, and that'll extend in towards the southern interior and a few spots away from the water, especially for Metro Vancouver. So the heat is on as we get in Monday, Tuesday, and then it'll moderate once again for our Wednesday onwards and leading towards the end of the week. Now, the northern half of the province, it'll be wet and windy. Areas closer to the water with those gusts between 50 and up to 60 kilometers per hour. Most areas for the southern half will see some sunshine in the mix, but heating up for Monday, Tuesday. Whistler could get brushed with an isolated shower, similar along the northern and central regions of the island. And for Metro Vancouver, Humidex tomorrow, 26 away from the water. Hot and sunny Nithu for a Monday, Tuesday, away from the water, up to 29 degrees. Looks beautiful. Thanks, Yvonne. A once well-known art piece in Vancouver has been given new life on Granville Island. The giants were really lonely, and now they have a family. <laughs> the family is a sculpture by Jack Harmon that once lived at the entrance to the former Vancouver Sun and the province newspaper headquarters on Granville Street and 6th. It depicts a 1960s definition of the traditional nuclear family, including a naked boy representing a new generation stepping forward. It has now been permanently installed outside the Sandbar restaurant. It's good that it has dialogue, uh, and uh, I think it's significant that this really references historic kind of sculpture, which the Alley uh, has not been a part of. We really talk about the future, and for example, right behind it is the, is the Giants. And that's a whole, that was the beginning of the mural festival in Vancouver. So uh, we're sort of at the cutting edge of trying to always create opportunities how to see art, art in public space and how public space can be transformed by, by art. Very cool. As we bring in Asa Raymond now for a preview of what is coming up in sports. Asa, yeah, what do you it's, have? A, it's a buzzing BC place. The uh, BC Lions are hosting the Winnipeg Blue Bombers. Both teams coming into this game undefeated. And it's been very entertaining. A lot of touchdowns. So we'll have those highlights coming up. Looking forward to it. All right, thanks for that, Asa. Also ahead, the sugar tax coming under scrutiny. Ultimately, you just want to feel fed and full versus thinking about the nutrients. And why it might not be helping to curb the cravings it's intended to. The special stories that shape our province, as suggested by our viewers. This is BC with Jay Durant. Real people, real stories. This is BC with Jay Durant is brought to you in part by Van Cam Freightways, BC owned and operated for 75 years. Last year, BC's provincial sales tax began to apply 
to the sale of all sugary drinks. Soon, people in Newfoundland and Labrador will also see an extra charge on their receipts when buying such beverages. It's a measure meant to help deal with that province's high rate of diabetes. But as Global's Charmaine Samani reports, it may not have the effect healthcare officials are hoping for. What do France, Mexico and Newfoundland and Labrador all have in common? Sugar tax. Starting in September, Newfoundland and Labrador will be the first in Canada to have that charge. Officials are hopeful the 20 cents per litre tax will curb people's appetites for sugary beverages. But Anique Besso, a registered dietitian with a background in food psychology, says the measure may not be too effective. I don't think it'll actually impact who's purchasing the beverages. A juice like a Gatorade or a cocktail sweetened beverage, those foods are still cheaper than other healthier alternatives. She says if anything, it will take a toll on lower income groups who depend on affordable and calorie-dense items. When you only have a certain budget for your groceries and for food every week, of course you're going to think about the extra tax. Ultimately, you just want to feel fed and full versus thinking about the nutrients. Researchers at the University of Illinois Chicago analyzed the impact sugar taxes have had in Seattle two years after it went into effect in 2018. They found that by charging $59.17 tax per liter on sugary beverages to distributors, the price of beverages went up by $33.16 per liter, leading to a 22% reduction in sales, even after factoring in alternatives like cross-border shopping. But that data may not be the full picture. Food economist Michael Von Masso says it's important to look at the groups that lowered their consumption. Whether those consumption reductions are actually occurring in the parts of the population where it will have the most public health impact. You might have people who are a little more sort of equivocal about consuming those products being discouraged by it, whereas people who are committed to those products may be less likely. He says provincial leaders will have to take these factors from Newfoundland and Labrador into account before implementing a sugar tax in their own province, if they wish to do so. Charmaine Samani, Global News. Still ahead, mapping the province's payphones. I don't think I've ever used a telephone booth. I don't even know if they're operational, to be honest. How many are left and where to find them after Asa's Sports next on the News Hour. Head to English Bay for Celebration of Light. Be there for the world's longest-running offshore fireworks competition as it returns for its milestone 30th year, with pyrotechnic performances featuring teams from Japan on July 23rd, Canada on July 22nd, and Spain on July 30th. Rock and River Festival returns to Merritt, B.C. for another legendary four days of music, friends, and good times by the river. Don't miss the great festival with headliners including Tim McGraw and Darius Rucker. For RBC, I'm Michael Newman. If you want to know, it's on the hub. If you want to show, it's on the hub. If you want to go, it's on the Global BC Community Hub. Navigate your now. All right, Asa's back with a full sports cast on another busy night in sports. Asa, starting off with the Lions. Yeah, busy one at BC Place, and uh, the place is buzzing. It was uh, hyped as the biggest game of the season in the CFL so far, and it's been living up to the hype. The undefeated BC Lions welcomed the undefeated defending champion Winnipeg Blue Bombers to BC Place. And all eyes were on the two quarterbacks, the Canadian kid Nathan Rourke squaring off against veteran Zach Caleros, but it was Janarian Grant taking the opening kickoff all the way back for a touchdown. 
97 yards in a flash. No one's going to touch him on this one. Bombers score first, shocking the home fans, 7-0. Quarterback's not even on the field yet. Then the Bombers add to that lead when Zach Caleros takes a hit and tosses to Dalton Schoen. In the end zone, the receiver has over 100 yards in this game already. The Lions were down 24-0 when Rourke went deep, real deep, to Josh Pearson. 66-yard touchdown, the first for Pearson. It gets the Lions on the board. Yeah, they're dancing. They're absolutely loving this at BC Place. And then Rourke, not done there. He goes deep once again. This time, finds Dominic Rimes. Bombers hit a field goal just before halftime to make it 27-14 at the break. And then in the second half, uh, Claros takes over. He scrambles. Hits shown in the end zone for his second score of the game. A nice diving, sliding effort to secure that touchdown. Then Rourke uh, shows that he's got some fight in him. He loves to see this. Throws his third TD of the game. Connecting with Rhymes once again. Rhymes going up and grabbing that one. Highlight reel catch. Great toss. Great catch as well. But it wasn't a perfect game for Rourke, parents obviously loving that uh, touchdown. They're not going to love this one, though. Intercepted. There's, he had two interceptions. And the Bombers uh, and the Lions look like they're going to hand the Lions their first loss of the season as this one is in the fourth quarter. And uh, the Lions are down 43-22. Take a look. Was it late? That oh, was low. That was that's a Terrible play by Atlanta. Yeah, this was the last night CFL Friday Night Football. It was scary. It was ugly in Saskatchewan. Ottawa Red Blacks quarterback Jeremiah Masoli injured late in the game when Garrett Marino takes him out with a low hit. And Masoli has to be carried off the field by his teammates. And no word on the severity of this injury. And the on-field officials agreed that this was a Indeed, worthy of a flag. Marino uh, was tossed out of the game, and we'll see what the league thinks of this. Uh, expected ruling on Monday. Meanwhile, women's final at Wimbledon, number three seed, Anjibur of Tunisia, facing Kazakhstan's Elena Rybakina. Both players making the first ever Grand Slam finals appearance. Uh, first time that's happened since 1962. Jabour got off to a very good start, but. Rubikina was on the run there, and then uh, she took the opening set, 6-3. Rubikina takes control of the match in the second, though. A couple of big breaks that were aided by 10 unforced errors and five, or sorry, five unforced errors and 10 forced errors. Rubikina had uh, a heavy shot as well. Jabor goes long, drops the second set, 6-2. And then Rubikina, with a strong serve, sets up the forehand winner here. And she would serve it out from there. Uh, when the tournament began, she was a 101 underdog. She's the 20 as a 23rd seed. She's the lowest seeded woman to win the championship since Venus Williams did it in 2007 as the 31st seed. And the sixth year in a row, Wimbledon has a new women's champion. And this was a streak-stomping night last night at BC Place. Uh, it was an eight-game unbeaten run that came to an end. And the three-game MLS clean streak came to an end as well. And with defensive midfielder Andres Kubas leaving the match at halftime due to a sore groan, the Whitecaps gave up a 1-0 uh, lead to Minnesota, who scored three unanswered in the final 20 minutes of this match. It was... Uh, a disappointing loss last night. Pedro Vite getting the start, and it was a good chance for the Caps here. Ends with a bad pass by Christian Dahomey, though. 
He had two to choose from, picked uh, neither in the end. Andre Kubas uh, didn't return after this into the second half. He had a sore groin. Lucas Cavallini in the box. Gladly accepts that service from Pedro Vite. Heads it home, his sixth goal of the season. And the Caps were in the lead, 1-0 in the second half. But it went downhill from there. 71st minute of this match. Nice build-up play for Minnesota United. Good little switch. And then it's Kamara Lawrence at the back stick who volleys his home past Cody Cropper. The keeper probably wants that one back. Maybe could have stopped that one. Instead, it's 1-1 at this stage. And then they're looking for more. Cody Cropper makes a fine save. He had to be alert to keep that one out of the goal and does so. So it stays 1-1 at that point. But then it got sloppy for the Whitecaps. A turnover here. Tyberg can't get to the ball, so it falls for Amaria. And he hits that from distance, beating Cody Cropper. A fine goal. A bad giveaway. And just like that, Minnesota are up. 2-1. And then Dane Sinclair, the Canadian keeper, just thumps this one forward. Franco Fragapane will get on the end of it, touches it onto his right and just waits out the keeper before slotting it home. And that'll do it. Minnesota goes on to win this one 3-1, snapping the home winning streak and the clean sheet streak for the Vancouver Whitecaps. Uh, I think we played well until we scored the goal. I don't like what we did after we scored the goal uh, because we, uh, we, we didn't press and when we were not pressing we were dropping too much in our box and leaving them, uh, but again, uh, it, it happens against good team and, uh, and we've been punished. We're back in action on Wednesday against Cincinnati. CONCACAF Women's Championship in Monterey, Mexico. Christine Sinclair in the starting 11 for Brett, Bev Priestman's side. But with another BC star coming up big, Vancouver's Julia Grosso is scoring the only goal of the match. A 1-0 win over Panama means Canada qualifies for next year's World Cup in Australia and New Zealand. They close with their group stage on Monday with a match against Costa Rica. And the under-23 Global Jam Tournament in Toronto taking place this weekend. Canada taking on USA in today's semifinal. The women's side, Captain Marissa Russell at 13 points, three rebounds and three assists. Canada was up 46-37 at halftime. They stretched that lead to 23 in the third. Cheyenne Day-Wilson led the way with 18 points. She knocked down three triples in this game. Canada didn't slow down in the fourth either. Shannon Pellington drives, lays it in with the left hand. Canada cruises to a 85-60 win and will face France in their final tomorrow. That's it for sports. We'll have uh, Jay's highlights later tonight. All right. Thanks very much, Asa. Coming up, tracking down some of the province's few remaining payphones. Remember those? Stay with us. Roger's outage had millions of Canadians looking for ways to connect. A few even went searching for a payphone. But as Kristen Robinson reports, the bygone booths are all but gone in our province, although we were able to track down a handful on the south coast. For some, this site in Victoria's Chinatown unhooks childhood memories. I used to make a phone call for a dime. 
with it well on the end of a fishing line and you can pull it back out and make repeated phone calls. The once popular payphone, now very elusive. I don't think I've seen it in Vancouver. And many, like this one in Vancouver, have seen better days. TELUS saw its payphones in BC and Alberta drop from 38,000 in 1999 to just 18,000 in 2011. A decade ago, with people hanging up and going wireless, Bell Canada wanted to hike the price of a call on one of these to a dollar instead of 50 cents. Now, there are no Bell payphones in BC. They've become more of a niche product, really, than the pervasive product that they used to be. That was 2012. TELUS has since downsized to about 800 active payphones in BC, with most in transportation hubs, hospitals, prisons, and some corner stores. When was the last time you used one of these? Never, actually. I don't think I've ever used a telephone booth. I think I used one on BC Ferries once because my phone died and I didn't have a charger. Have you ever used one of these? No, absolutely not. I don't even know if they're operational, to be honest. We checked, and this one is, but it's a mystery to some. Have you ever seen one of those before? No. Would you know what to do with it? No. Do you know what that is? No. The Vancouver Public Library used to have a payphone, but it has since been removed. You can still find two at Greater Victoria's Public Library, but it's unclear if these or the others in the capital city would have answered the call during the Rogers outage. Could you have used one of these yesterday? No, I didn't have a dime. <laughs> Our payphone hunt ended at the Royal BC Museum, where this relic may join the exhibits one day. Kristen Robinson, Global News. With the yellow pages. Yes. <laughs> So nostalgic. I should have brought out our newsroom landline that had to come into function yesterday to keep our operations alive. <laughs> yeah. Quite the day. All right, before we let you go, quick check on the weather. For the <laughs> We've week. got a bit of cloud cover in the mix. Um, it is going to clear out, though. We should see some more sunshine. And then it's warming up with the sunshine. Warmest days out of the bunch so far look to be Monday, Tuesday, away from the water up to 29. 29. All right, looks fantastic. Prepare accordingly, Perfect. folks. Thanks for sharing some of your weekend with us. Have a great night. Hi, it's Shauna, and I might be a bad parent because my kids think french fries are vegetables. Hey, it's Ryan, and I might be a bad parent because I went out for wings when my wife was in the hospital after giving birth. Johnny here. I might be a bad parent because in my house, the tooth fairy gives pocket change. But we're not alone. Len emailed us and said his six-year-old daughter's Tarzan moment going from love seat to lazy boy by curtains made him more proud than any dance <laughs> recital. And Andy left his two-year-old at the rink. All right, guys, I'm sure we're not alone. Like Andy's kid. For stories and confessions like this, make sure you check out our podcast. It's called Bad Parents, and it's available wherever you get your podcasts. I left a glove at the rink.